go ahead and get into this story um, of Sacred Eight. We're going to go and take a look at, at Cana. So we're going to talk about Jesus' first miracle today. His very first miracle that he, when he turned water into wine. So let, before I get into my, my uh, scripture for today, um, I really want to set some like context to this whole thing because a lot of this has been misinterpreted. A lot of people just like misinterpret the scripture about Jesus like turning water into wine and getting drunk and all these different things. Let me just demystify all of that today for you. So I'm just going to read a couple of things and we're going to get right into the meat of my message. So um, this is all about, and so in, in this moment, basically when Jesus turned water into wine, in this day and age, he was at a wedding. And so in the land of Cana, basically that was about nine miles away from where he grew up. And so his mom knew the family that was a part of the wedding. How many of you guys have ever been to a wedding before? I mean, a lot of us probably have or experienced a wedding. And so a lot of times, like, if you've ever been in a wedding or you've experienced or you're, like, like involved with the wedding, like, it can be, like, sometimes chaotic, right? It could be like, man, some people are very well planned. Some people aren't. And it's just like, whatever. But in this moment, this, um, Jesus was experiencing, he, he came to this party. He was invited to this party. So he came with some of his disciples. So his disciples were with him, his mom was with him, and his mom knew the family. So I would, I would um, propose that there's no like, context on, on how their relation to the family, but basically I would say, hey, this is like um, the best friend of the mom of the bride and the groom. So this is like how, kind of her relationship with this party. So there's, there's a lot of things that are tied into this moment. And so in this moment, they ran out of wine, okay? I mean, first of all, like how many of you guys have been to a wedding and they run out of something? Like you... They run out of food, and you're like, what? Like, you, I literally, I RSVP to come to this wedding. I told you that I was coming, and you're going to run out of food. So, but in this moment, like, this is, like, they would party for weeks at a time. So this wasn't just one day. So all the ladies were like, yeah. All the guys were like, no. Like, I don't want to do that. So in this, in this day and age, they were partying for literally probably three days, four days, a week long. So this, this is what they were accustomed to doing. And so to run out of something is an embarrassment to the family. And so it's like, man, if you run out of food, if you run out of wine, if you run out of anything, it's literally an embarrassment to the family, and that's forever imprinted on that family. And so it was important that they didn't run out of the most thing that they needed, which was wine in that moment. And so Mary, we're going to take a look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, in this, in this scripture. We're going to turn to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. How many of you guys love the word? Yes. Come on. It's uh, we're in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's our opening scripture for today. On the, th on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Okay, so first of all, never call your mother woman. Okay. <laughs> Just don't do it. Like, just don't, just don't be like, woman, what are you talking about? This ain't about me. This, I'm not part of this wedding party. Like, this doesn't have nothing to do. Just don't do it, fellas. I don't care if your mom is 80 years old. Okay, don't call your mom woman. But in this moment, what Jesus was referring to was he was referring that, man, what do I have to do with the matter? Like, this is about God. This is about God moving in this situation. So what do I have to do in this matter? So he calls her woman. What do I have to do? With this, Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish, 
purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. Verse 9. When the head waiter tasted the water, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom and told him. Everyone sets out to find wine first. Then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Verse 11. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So today as we begin our brand new series, Sacred Aid, I want to speak to you on the subject, fulfill the need. Fulfill the need as we look at Jesus' first miracle in the Bible. Will you pray with me just one more time? Jesus, we love you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every person that's in this room right now. Father, I pray that you would meet them right where they are. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in this place. Change minds, renew hearts, set people free in this very moment. Father, I thank you that not one life in this room leaves the same way that they came in, but I pray for wisdom and revelation knowledge to flood their minds and hearts in Christ. Lord, I get rid of any anxiety, I get rid of any fear that would hinder me from preaching your word today. And I say, have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone shout it. Amen. Amen. So how many of you guys have, um, would say at one point, that you were desperate for something. And that, that, could be, that could be the most simple thing as, as like, man, like you, you, you don't have a job and you were desperate. You were off work for three months and your bills are piling up. So you were desperate to find a job. It could be, man, like, man, I haven't dated in a long time. <laughs> Fellas. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to call you out because I talk to all my single dudes all the time. I've been, I haven't dated for a long time. I'm dry, I need, I need, I'm desperate for a woman. Or it could be, man, I'm desperate for God to move in my marriage. Or it could be, I'm, I'm, I'm desperate for him to heal my body. I'm desperate for him to touch me in this moment. Whatever it is, all of us at one point or another have been desperate. And so at this moment when, I'm going to take a look at, at Mary for a second. At this moment when Mary went to Jesus, she was going to him in desperation. She literally said, hey, 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 they ran out of wine. You got to do something. And then Jesus says, what do I have to do with this. So this is my first point. Everybody shout number one. In our desperation, we are drawn to trust. In our desperation, we are drawn to trust. John 2, 3 through 5, it says this. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. And then Jesus said, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. And then this is the beautiful thing about Jesus, or about Mary in this moment, and Jesus, is when she went to Jesus, she had never once seen him perform a miracle. This is the first miracle that he ever performed. So she didn't yet know the power that was in him in this moment. But she was drawn in desperation to something that was bigger than her. And so in this moment, she's going to him and saying, man, you got to do something. You got to do something. And then immediately what Mary does, and I love this moment, she goes and turns to his disciples, the servants that were around him. And she says, do whatever he tells you to do. In this moment, she realized that Jesus couldn't do anything without his servants in the earth. 
And I want to propose to you in this moment, Jesus can do nothing without us fulfilling the very need. And a lot of us are going to Jesus for everything. We're going in desperation to Jesus, which we should go to him and trust in him and love on him. But at the end of the day, you and I are set in this earth, in this church, to fulfill the needs of the people that are around us. Jesus uses you and I. It's not, it's not like we, we just go to him. Yes, we, our first protocol is to go to Jesus. I believe in that. But we have to get to a point. If we're going to move church forward and we're going to be all that God has called us to be, we have to get to a point and a place and say, man, I'm going to Jesus. But you know what? I'm going to fulfill this need. I'm going to pray over this person. And so G, uh, uh, Mary knew this in this moment. She's like, man, in desperation, she went to Jesus. And the beautiful thing about it is when Jesus asked her the question, she didn't even answer. She turned straight to the servant. She turned straight to the disciples. And she commanded them to do whatever Jesus was telling them to do. Can I propose to you in this moment, whatever you've been believing God for in your life, in your situation, in your marriage, in your finances, on your job, whatever it may be, listen, the people around you are here. That's what the body of Christ is for. We are to fulfill the needs of the people that are around us. We are to fulfill the needs of our city. We are to fulfill the needs of the state. We're to fulfill the needs of every single individual that's in this room. So Mary had the audacity in this moment to step and say, okay, Jesus, I'm not answering you. Spirit. <laughs> She's like, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't get to, no, no. I'm, I'm, okay, I told you what to do. I told you that there's a need. And so I, now I'm going to turn to your servant. I don't know what you're going to see in this moment. Mary didn't know what he was going to do. She had no idea that he would just turn water into wine. For all she knew, she could have been like, okay, go out somewhere, go get some more wine and bring it back. She didn't know what he was going to do in that moment. And how did, he, how did she even know that he was going to do even something? It's because she trusted in him. And you see, a lot of us, we go to God. We go to God and say, Lord... I need you in this moment. I, I need you. I need healing in my body. Or I, I need a job. And we go to him. And then we turn. And then we go back. Say, God, I need you. Listen, the mother of Jesus, when she said what she needed to say, she left it at his feet. She left it for him to fulfill the need. Can I propose a lot of us are carrying things and we're going back to God over and over and over and God is saying, no, you give it to me, and then you walk away in assurance knowing that I'm going to do something. If you trust somebody so much, if you trust them so much, you don't have to go back and say, man, I don't think you're going to do that. I don't think you're going to fulfill the job. I don't think you're going to fulfill the need. And then we go back and we go back and we go back over and over and over. But God is wanting you and I to go to him, then walk away in trust and in desperation, knowing that he's going to fulfill the very needs that are in our lives, knowing that he's going to put people across your pathway to fulfill the need. That's what it's about in this moment. And so in our desperation, we are drawn to trust. So when we are desperate for something, we should ultimately trust that God is going to work it out. We should ultimately go to him and say, God, Lord, I trust you in this moment. 
So I'm going to turn away. Lord, I'm dealing with something in my marriage. I'm dealing with something with my family. I'm dealing with something, Lord, I need to trust you in this moment. So I'm going to hand over everything that worries me in this moment. I'm going to give over this addiction. I'm going to give over this shame. I'm going to give over this guilt. I'm going to give over this condemnation. I'm going to give over the thing that's been crippling me for so long, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to turn away knowing that you're going to work everything out for me in my situation. That's what Mary did in this moment. She went in desperation, first trusting in God. So in desperation, people will almost do anything to get what they need. Can I propose to you in this moment that a lot of us have been going to other things to fulfill the only thing that God can fulfill in our lives? And I'm sitting right here. I was addicted to a life of pornography. And I would go, go, I would go to this, go to this, go to this, wanting to fulfill some emptiness inside of me. Can I tell you that it never fulfilled anything in me? I'm being real today. I, I went to so many things. I, I, I did so, I, I went all over. And even with dance and, and all the things that I've done, I try to fulfill something that only God can fill. And so a lot of us are going from addiction to addiction. We're going from this relationship to this relationship. We're going from this step to this step. We're going from this job to this job. We're, we're changing um, our, our, our college degree every single two seconds. Why? Because we don't know. We, we're only going to stuff. We're going to things that can't fulfill us. And we're trying to like search for it in the world. And God's saying, I can only fulfill that need. That brings me to my next point. Everybody shout number two. In our emptiness, he fills the need. It is only when you are empty that something can be filled. And you see a lot of us go to God half filled with the addictions that we struggle. Oh, come on. With the addictions that we struggle with, we go to God half filled. And say, okay, I'm still going to do this on the side, but I'm going to go to God. God, can you help me? God doesn't want just some of you. He wants all of you. And a lot of us are facing the things in our lives. We're going to him, we're going to him, but we're going to him half filled up with something that has nothing to do with him. We're going to him half filled up still with shame in our heart. We're going to him half filled up with the addiction to something that we've been facing for so long. We're going to him half filled up and God say, empty, get rid of it so that I can fill you with everything that I want to fill you with in this moment. Come on, that's good news. And I know that sometimes it's hard to do that. I know that if, if we were being, if I was being honest, I struggled with uh, the life of pornography for years and years and years. And it is hard to do that. I'm not saying that we should live a perfect life. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is that the moment you choose to give everything over to God, he can fill you up. And you won't be addicted. Can I, can I propose to you that we should be addicted to Jesus? Like we get addicted to everything else that, that only satisfies us for a moment. It's a momentary fix. It's a moment of, of, of just feeling. But I can tell you that this, anytime that I go to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm dealing with this frustration in my life. I want to go back to this. But I know the life of that doesn't line up with what you have for me now. Even though my desires, my flesh wants to go to this. I want to do this thing. But Lord, I'm asking you in this moment to fill me up. I'm praying that I don't have to go to this to be filled up. I don't have to go to this to, to be filled and get rid of my shame, even though it's just for a moment. But I want you to fill me for a lifetime. And you see, a lot of us, we're, we're going to different things here and there. So my question is to you. Do you have the faith to walk away and believe that God will do something in your situation or in the lives of the people that are around you? 
I entitled this message, Fulfill the Need, is because one of my biggest pet peeves in the church today is that we have a prayed away mentality. We have a prayed away mentality. And I'm not diminishing the power of prayer because I believe in it. But there comes a point where we are to fulfill the very need of the people. And this is one of my biggest pet peeves just this week, and I'm not boasting in myself, but I just want to share this story because I, I just saw it firsthand. I had a buddy, one of my pastor friends, he, he was texting me um, this week and just saying, hey, like I'm in transition, I don't know what to do, I don't know what's happening right now, and I'm in a transition from this pastor job, and I'm going to the next, but I don't know if this one's going to be solid, and I've been struggling with finances and all these different things. So he's calling me, and he's just sharing, like we just talk about, we're very transparent and open with each other. Um, and so he was just telling me, like, hey, like, I'm struggling financially, this and that, this and that. And I said, okay. Like, I did say at first, I said, I'll pray for you. But then something just checked me in my mind and my heart. And this is before I even, like, kind of got to the meat of this message. Something just kind of came, in that, and I believe that's the Holy Spirit working in me. He said, listen, Andrew, like, you're to fulfill the need. And I think a lot of us, we don't even want to try to attempt to fulfill a need because we want to do it in its entirety. God didn't ask you to fulfill the need in its entirety. He asked you just to step out and fulfill something. And so in this moment, I was like, okay, okay, God. Like, okay, I'm struggling. Okay, but I'm going to pray about this person. And I did pray. And then immediately God said, send him 50 bucks. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And 50 bucks probably doesn't even cover a bill. He's struggling with finances. But I just sent it over to him in Venmo. He didn't know that I was sending it. I didn't say, hey, I'm sending you money. I just found him on Venmo. Sent it over. Two hours later, he said, bro, you sent me money. I was like, yeah. I just felt like I, I get tired of people saying that, that they'll, they'll pray for you and do this and do that. I said, like, God has called me to do something. And so in this moment, 50 was only that what I could give. So I gave it to him. He said, no, bro, I'm going to steward what you gave me, and I'm going to steward it well. The very words that he said. He said, that has impacted me in so many ways. You don't know I needed my gas to be filled. I needed to get from point A to point B. I didn't even have money to pay for gas. It's about fulfilling the little things. You know what? We don't have to go to God every single time and say, God, 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 God. No, no, no. You are called in this church. You are destined in this city to fulfill the need. We want to talk about motion. We want to talk about future forward. We want to talk about all the things that God has for you. But if we don't put what we have out, God will never be able to move in this city. We will never be able to build houses in Mexico. We will never be able to start Redemption House. We are the ones that are called to fulfill the very need of the people that are in our city, in our state, and in our world. Come on, somebody. We are called to do that. And so in this moment, as we empty, empty ourselves, he fills the need. John 2, 6-7 says this. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. So these are massive, massive jars. And so in these jars... Basically, these jars weren't used for everyday use. The significance of these jars were basically used for purification. So these jars aren't just the normal jars that you would just put in your refrigerator and take out and use every single day. No, these jars were, were used for, for parties and different things like that. So he says, fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. The reason why we go to Jesus is so that we can be obedient with what he's called us to do. Not so that he can fulfill the need. There's, two diff there's a difference between them. We go to Jesus so that he can give us what to do next. And we operate in obedience. 
It's not, it's not we go to Jesus and say, Lord, you have to fulfill this need. And Jesus is like, I'm not on the earth anymore. <laughs> Serious. He's like, what do you want me to do about that? First, he sent, he sent the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit is there. And the Holy Spirit teaches us and leads us and guides us into all truth. And so we act in obedience to God. But we are here on earth to fulfill the very need of every individual. You are here right now in this room to fulfill the need of somebody that you're sitting right next to. That is, what, that is what's so beautiful about the body of Christ. We go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? And even in that moment when I prayed for my friend just this last week, I prayed for him to get direction on what he wanted me to do. Had I not been obedient, I would have never fulfilled the need. And so we go to God first to give direction to what he wants us to do to fulfill the very need. And 2 Corinthians 12, this is one of my favorite scriptures, I love this, 9 through 11, it says this. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. How can you be weak and then made strong? It's when you empty yourself of everything that you've been dealing with so that God can make you strong. You empty yourself of your doubt so God can add faith into your situation. You, you empty yourself of this despair so God can add healing into your situation. You empty yourself and you get rid of everything so God can ultimately fill you to the brim with what he wants to fill you with. In our weaknesses, and that's so, that's so hard to like reconcile with in my mind. I'm like, in my weakness, I am made strong. That doesn't work because I go to the gym to gain, gain strength. I work this out. I do this. That doesn't make any sense, A.D. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, you can't rationalize it in your mind. It's because in this moment, God is saying, look, what is he saying here? He's saying, even in everything, in your distresses, everything that you're dealing with in your life, in your marriages, as you submit that to me, as you submit that, that thing that you're dealing with in your life, that addiction, as you submit everything to me, I can feel the need in your life. But if we don't submit it, he can never feel it. We have to be able to submit everything that we're going through so that he can ultimately fill us. Jesus' purpose at this moment was to reach unbelievers. So a lot of people misinterpret this story and say, well, whoa, he turned water into wine, man. Like, that's so awesome. Like, yeah. I can get drunk. Jesus did for the, the wedding part. No, 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 no. No. That's not it. No, in this moment, he literally did this. A lot of people didn't even know that they had ran out of wine. Jesus performed this miracle so that people could ultimately believe in him. It says, as I was studying, only five or six people knew that Jesus had performed the miracle. It wasn't like the whole wedding party knew, wow, Jesus. Like, you performed this miracle for us. So amazing. No, Jesus, in this moment, the reason why he did this miracle is so that people can believe in him. And they can believe that he had resurrection power, that he was a miracle worker. Can I say to you that people can only believe in Christ if you choose to step out and fulfill the very need of the people? That's how you get people to salvation. We want to talk about people saying yes to Jesus? 
That's how we do it. We live a life outside of here, on your job, in your home, with your family, with your friends. And you say, okay, hey, like, yeah, invite them to church. Awesome. That's great. But at the end of the day, once you fulfill the need, that's how, Je- that's how people see Jesus in you. That's how people are touched. It's when you can go and visit somebody that's dealing with something. It's not when they're coming to this church doors that they feel ultimately touched and impacted. No, how we can impact the world is by you impacting your job. The people that are at your job. How you impact this city is by going to your family and loving on your family. Not, not blasting Jesus in front of their face and saying, hey, you're going to go to hell, all these different things. No, that's not love. How you display the love of God is by fulfilling the very need of the people. And so in our emptiness, we have to be filled. And so in this moment, that's why Jesus performed this miracle. It wasn't so everybody could know about him. It was so that his disciples and the people that were around him could ultimately believe in him. He performed this miracle for the five or six people that were with him, not for the mass. And a lot of us think that we have to get to the masses of people. It starts with one. We want to talk about for the one. That's what it's about. It's about reaching one person that's in your family. It's about reaching one person that's on your job. It's about reaching one person in this moment. And my last point is this. Everybody shout number three. In our extremity is God's opportunity. In our extremity is God's opportunity. John 2, 9 through 11 says this. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servant who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out to find wine first, and after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and this is what I love about this part. And his disciples believed in him. Had he not performed the miracle, the disciples never would have believed. So in this moment, he performed a miracle so ultimately that they could believe and trust in him. And then John 12, 44 through 50, it says this. Jesus cried out, the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. So this is when Jesus said to his mom, like, what do I have to do with the matter? He was ultimately going to God first and saying, God, you're the only one that can fill this need. Like, I, I, I want to go to you first, and you tell me what to do in this moment. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. So his disciples believed in him. He ultimately performed this miracle so that they wouldn't remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. A lot of us are trying to save things and do things in our own strength. We're judging people. We're saying, man, man, I don't know about that person. We're judging them every single second. But God says right here, Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own. This is him going to the Father. I have not spoken on my own. So when we're going to Jesus in our desperation, it's to ultimately listen to what he has to say so that we can fulfill the needs of others. So he goes to God. The word I have spoken 
will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me command to say everything I have said. I know that this command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So the things that you do, you do them as the Father tells you. Come on. The things that you do for the people that are around you, you do them because God ultimately wants you to do them. He's already spoken in his word. He's already brought everything to pass. He's already done it. He's waiting for the people in the earth to fulfill the needs of everyone around us. This is, this, is, this is how literally, this is how we change a city. If you notice that this was the first miracle, only five people know, but how many people know about Jesus now? It started out so small. Started out so small. But then now it's like, man, it's this big thing. And so in our extremity, it's God's opportunity. Another word for extremity is limit. Another word for extremity is edge. Another word for extremity is the end. So meaning in the end of ourselves is where God can begin to do something. It is at our last string. It's at the last resort. It is in desperation that God can do something. It is when you are on the last break and say, God, I don't know what else to do. I've done drugs. I've done alcohol. I've done sex. I've done all these other things. But, Lord, I'm submitting my will to yours. It is at the end of ourselves that God can begin to work in your life. It is at the end of ourselves that we can reach a city. It is at the end of ourselves that we can reach this state. It is at the end of ourselves that we can ultimately impact the world for the glory of God. It's at the end of us. So in your extremity, it's God's opportunity. God is calling you to do something. Every single day, Start small, just saying, okay, I'm going to take the courage. I barely even know Jesus. But you know what? Today I'm going to take the step, and I'm going to talk to my, my coworker. Just say, hey, man, I'm going to this cool church called The Well. You know, um, it's, it's awesome. It's a good word. Um, I just want to just share how much Jesus loves you. It's those moments that impact the city. It's those moments that ultimately change the person that's next to you. It's a small moment. And I love this. So when we observe God's orders, we must do so with an implicit obedience. We must do so with an implicit obedience. So when God tells you to do something, it's like, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. No matter what it is, I'm going to do it. God tells you to give something, give it. Do it. If God tells you just to give some random person a hug and say, Jesus loves you, do it. That's ultimately how we literally impact the city and change the world, is if we listen and obey what God has for us. And I love this. When Jesus tells us to do something, we must do it and not think twice about it. It is action that precedes obedience. The moment God tells you to do something, do it. If I can get anything out of this, the moment that Mary came to Jesus in desperation, he didn't have to do anything in that moment. But because he loved his mom, because he loved the people, he acted and he did it. 
And so in our desperation, we trust, meaning when we are at the end of our rope and choose to throw our hands up, God can move. So at the end of yourself is where God can begin to move in your life. Can we stand to our feet in this moment? Let's just worship for a, a few more moments. Because listen, we can talk about all this all day long. We can talk about miracles. We can talk about all the things. But really in order to impact the city and, and impact our world around us and impact our families and our friends, we have to ultimately know how much Jesus loves us. And that he literally died for every individual that's in this room.